Hello, and welcome to Unsheathed with your hosts, Kyle Gold and Cam Hirosaki. We hope that you enjoy the program. Please stick around afterwards. There'll be cake and blowjobs. Hi, and welcome to Unsheathed number 15. I'm Kyle Gold. I'm Cam Hirosaki. And we're coming at you live from our discreet, undisclosed location. Uh, apparently high in a mountain bunker this, uh, this weekend. Um, we are flameless this time, uh, but we did just record a nice long show with him yesterday for his Anthropodcast, which I believe was episode number 21. Flameless so, sounds like it should be the name of a song. Flameless in Seattle? No, we already did our Seattle show. Oh, uh, that's true. Um, so... Look for Anthropodcast number 21. That will feature myself and Hirosaki-san. And uh, it was quite a good time. We talked about foot fetishes and cartoons and socks. I made a fool of myself again, if that's not too hard for everyone to believe. It was quite enjoyable. Uh, We have a couple things we wanted to talk about before we get to some questions. First of all, if you enjoyed the spooky Twilight Zone bumper for episode number 14... That was thanks to Colson Otter, who, again, I believe is Colson on F-A, C-O-L-S-O-N. He does some fabulous tunes, and you all should definitely check him out. He's otterific. He is. Not quite as otterific as you are, sir. Aww. Um, and, well, I'm completely blanking on what the other uh, thing that I wanted to mention. Oh, I think we were just going to talk about um, well, we were going to ask what other themes, if people enjoyed the horror show, we got some good feedback on that, that people liked the different theme. And so if uh, if there's any sort of genre stuff that you all would like us to talk about, send us an email. And I think we got some questions already this week on science fiction, and we'll talk about that uh, uh, some later show. And uh, But if you, if you guys have any questions about writing a specific kind of genre, uh, send them our way. Yeah, we're actually kind of going legit now. It's it's fun and daunting, but mostly fun. Exactly. We um, so I figured we we got some questions here. We have a little special segment at the end. Uh, we're going to talk about Nanorimo a little bit, but uh, we wanted to fill y'all in on what we've been doing. I have been spending the last week going through my novel Shadow of the Father, which is set in the world of Argea, in case you don't know. It is the story of uh, Vol's son, who gets himself into a whole peck of trouble. And it's been quite an experience, because I finished writing it back in February. It was a first draft, and then I did a second draft in the spring. Wow, was it really that long ago? It was right before Furry Fiesta. Really? Yeah. Wow. Where did 2009 go? I don't know. You know, it's already almost November. Oh, my God. Um, but uh, That's so depressing. No, it's exciting because Thanksgiving's coming up and Christmas is coming up and it's the holidays and everybody kind of kicks back a little bit. I, I love November, December. It's also, Kit and I love it because all the uh, harvest stuff comes out around this time and we get harvest corn and squash and pumpkin and pumpkin pie and pecan pie and... All kinds of good stuff. I love not somehow losing track of nine months of my life. I wasn't even pregnant, so I don't even have that excuse. 
uh, you know, I have I'm no idea what that analogy was I'm supposed to mean. Gonna, I'm not going to go to the Mpreg. Please don't write that story. <laughs> I won't. Don't worry. Thank you. Um, I already wrote my story about you. But uh, so mostly what I've been doing is, is focusing on that novel. I've also been writing a, a little bit more of the uh, infamous uh, spit roast story that I've, I've mentioned several times on my live journal. I'm trying to wrap that up and get it in shape to appear early next year. And uh, I'll be talking a little bit about that on the live journal. And I imagine we will mention something about it in the podcast in a few weeks when things are a little more solid. You know, in the episode uh, where we had Flane on our show, there's one point where you were talking about a picture that had spit roasting in it. And you're you're talking to Flane. But while you're saying this, I went back and listened to it. You can hear me in the background just go, yay, spit roast. <laughs> and just hearing me say it, I was drinking a lot that night, so I was fuzzy on the details. But so just going back and just hearing myself say that kind of made me giggle like an idiot. <laughs> it was very funny. Um, but you're always kind of fuzzy. Yeah. That's yeah. what we are. Although you're, you're more kind of slippery, kind of more slippery fuzzy. Yeah. I'm just fl- fluffy fuzzy. See, because, well, I mean, if... See, that, and that's actually another thing that I was going to mention, um, and I don't know... Thank you for giving me a segue, because I was thinking, you know, like, otters otters aren't too fuzzy. And then I'm like, well, sea otters are kind of fuzzy, but I'm not a sea otter. Right. And one of my pet peeves that I've run into is how many otters in the fandom don't know what kind of otter they are. Like, if you're a fox, you know if you're, like, a red fox or an arctic fox or a fennec fox... There are people it's like it's like, are you a river otter or a sea otter? Like, oh, I'm just an otter. I'm like, well, that's not good enough, damn it. You have <laughs> well, to know. Uh, there, are, there have been a couple foxes that weren't entirely clear on what kind of fox they were, or that thought that a black fox was a different species from a red fox, or you know that an arctic fox was the same species as a red fox, just a different color. So there are a couple people like that, but I think in general you're arctic right. Arctic foxes have adorable stubby ears. They do. Like and, otters. And broader muzzles in general. Broader and muzzles. And thicker, floofier fur. And they look super, super skinny in the summer. Oh, yeah. And they could be blue. Mm-hmm. It's, very, it's a very pretty sort of color, actually. One fox, two fox. Red fox, blue fox. <laughs> Red fox, blown fox. <laughs> your, your mind just went there. I'm not responsible <laughs> for that. Why don't you tell people what you've been up to, speaking of... Okay, so... Speaking of uh, I'm that one foxes and salacious thoughts, I've uh, I have finally, as of earlier today, finished my first draft of my counter story to the Kyle Cam Hirosaki challenge. Excellent. Uh, Kyle has not read it yet, but uh, I'm going to be probably emailing it to him right after I'm done recording this, and so he can look it over. In terms of this being a sort of I write for him, he writes for me. I think that, once again, Kyle has written the better of the two stories, but uh, I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. I always enjoy these. Yeah, I think you enjoy them more than I do, but we've talked about that. Uh, But no, I mean, I I hope it came out okay. I think it's probably better than the last one I wrote, which was just kind of like, what? Like, I go back and look at that again, and I don't even know what I was trying to do. I started out doing one thing, switched halfway through to trying to do something else, and I don't think I accomplished either. I thought it was a neat idea, though. And I thought if, if it's something that you feel like revisiting it at some point, 
it would be interesting to yeah carry the, out. This this next one is nothing like that one. Okay. Uh, we do have. I will. Uh, I did finish that story. Passed it on to Hirosaki-san, who's read it and has provided me with some feedback, which I took into account. It's and, really hot. Uh, well, thank you. And not and not not just because it's me. <laughs> that Almost helps more, in spite of the fact that. Or you know, it's you'd think it would feel weird to read porn about me, but it doesn't. I guess yeah. it's, I think it's because I'm just so used to like TSing, where I'm just used to writing, reading people writing about sexual things happening to me, that it doesn't really phase me. Okay, and speaking of that, I should mention one of the stories I was writing recently, um, and I told you about this online, but I, I could mention it on the podcast. Um, I was, I'm writing the story in which in which one of the characters was TSN online, but she's female, so she's having a straight TS session in which I'm writing both sides of it. So it feels, as I'm writing it, very awkward, as though I'm TSN with myself straight, <laughs> which is really strange. I can't imagine why that would be strange at all. <laughs> um, I'm just remembering the comment I made to you earlier at work about use of the word scintillating. <laughs> and that we will not be repeating on the podcast. Yeah, you well, can ask us about that privately if you want, but we probably won't even talk about it then. And really, if you're I the... say I unsaw that immediately? So I, yeah, you I have did. no idea what you're talking about, actually. <laughs> All right, so for the benefit of our listeners, if you're the kind of people listening to our podcast, you probably don't want to know about it either. No, not at all. So, um, but we did, so I did finish the I did finish the Hirosaki story, and we should get on to these questions. Um, I did finish the Hirosaki story, and we are actually um, going to try to post that in a new and exciting way, and we will tell you a little bit more about that next time and before we get to the questions just uh one more quick thing from me uh i've actually actually no two things i started another story today which will hopefully more than make up for the other story i wrote and didn't post and i am still planning to get to hirasaki's secret project sometime before mff you won't see it forward to that you won't see it before mff but i'll get to working on it it's like the big dig in Boston, like yeah, yeah, we're we're working on it. It'll be done eventually, right? Only hopefully this won't kill people. <laughs> it it might kill people from shock, or hopefully from just hotness. Why don't you read a question? Thank you for that. So, my first question here is from Candle. Condro. We love Condro. We do. He he gives us such good fodder. He says That's fodder F O D D E R, not fodder as in Fox Otter hybrid. Oh uh, yeah. There's there was the whole hybrid discussion earlier. Uh, but no, so the question is I've recently been trying to write a story that expands my normal style. The story is told from the first person by a child, and I found it really difficult to develop a voice for the character. My normal work usually drapes the narrative with lavish descriptions filled with metaphorical references that help the reader visualize it, but that just doesn't seem in character for a child. 
difficulty is, when I try to write it in much more simplistic terms, I find while reading it back to myself that it just sounds unintelligent, like what a novice writer might produce. I know there's a magic place between childish simplicity and the expanded vocabulary of an author, but I just can't seem to find it. Help, please. Uh, I would... It depends on what the age of the child is. Yeah. Because if you're writing from the point of view of a six-year-old, it's different from an eight-year-old, which is different from a 10, 12, 14, 16, and they're all technically children. Yeah. And um, I, I also find that having worked very briefly with children sort of recently, I find that my own mental perception of how intelligent a child is, I have not been giving children enough credit. Yeah. They're, they're a lot smarter than you might think if you don't interact with them a lot. The thing about children, though, is that they're... They tend to be, um, they're very intelligent, uh, but as they're younger, they're much more limited in scope, and so their world is much smaller. Their world initially is, is simply themselves, and then it expands to their family and people that they know, and right. then it expands beyond that. And so one of the things that I would suggest you do is Remember that when you're doing descriptions, the descriptions are all going to be in terms of things that are familiar to the child. Right. Um, the as a, I'm not sure if this is a really good example or not, but uh, I think you're the th curious you're incident yeah. of the dog in the nighttime. I think would be a, a great book to um, to use as a reference guide for how to write from a child's point of view. The difference is that's an autistic child, so. Uh, you've got that on top of just the fact that you're writing from a child's point of view. Right. But he's also older. He's in his he's like a teen or a tween though, right? Isn't he like thirteen or fourteen? Or the, is he like the thing eleven? Because of the because of the autism, it's, it's it's really hard to determine his age. Yeah. I mean, the autism does sort of throw a wrench into you're not just strictly writing from a child's point of view, but it does address the point of giving it a childish point of view and just making it sound like he says here like not making it sound unintelligent because it is certainly you don't read it and think oh this was written by somebody who doesn't know how to write that's certainly not the impression it gives right it's also a very good book to read anyway but. right um, and i would recommend it i'm trying to think of other um other books that would qualify for that i can't think of any offhand it's really i would it sounds like he's kind of writing this just as an exercise and i would say what is your goal in presenting it from the child's point of view because Generally, what um, the stories that I've read from children's point of view are written that way because that allows the author to conceal something from the reader until the child realizes it as well. And so sort of at the climax of the story, you have an expansion of the child's world where they realize something that's been going on, something that makes sense and that moves the child to another stage towards adulthood and it also comes as a sort of reveal for the reader um but see all the examples i can think of that do that are still all written in third person though yeah so um but know, it's a valid point what um i i, I kind of hesitate to recommend this one because it's not specifically a child but flowers for algernon Oh, okay, yeah, that's... Because you have a sort of mentally handicapped adult, which is different, but 
again, it's sort of an example of writing from a limited perspective. Right. Um, but I don't know. Anything else on that one? Uh, yeah, again, like I keep on almost coming up with examples, and they're all third person when I think about them hard enough. Yeah, if we if we think of another one, we'll mention it later on in the show. But even if it's if it's very close third person, you'll still get a handle on how to keep that perspective narrow without making it sound stupid. Right. So I mean, I mean, you could also look at some kids' books. I mean, I, I keep yeah. thinking of like the old uh, E Nesbit. Um, Shoot, I forget what those were. Phoenix in the Carpet? Was that? Uh, I think so. Um, Edward Eager. Some of those old great, you know, kids' fantasy books, which present stuff from a kid's perspective, but it's kind of adult situations. And, you know, read a few of those. Get a feel for how children see the world. I don't know. Are you set? Yeah, man. All I right. think I'm tapped. All right. Uh, our next question comes from Kaz Wolf. Hey, Kaz. Hey, Kaz. And Kaz says, Hey, y'all. I've been catching up with the Unsheathed podcast lately, listening to number eight right now, and I actually have a question that I'd like to submit to you both. While at Feral, I had the opportunity to talk to Kyle for a while, and one of the things that got brought up was the concept of summary versus scene. Uh, that was in our workshop at Feral, which was actually a lot of fun, and I thank Kaz and everybody for their participation in it. I thought it was a... Uh, a really cool time. Um, Kaz says, it, it was a new concept to me, but it does make a lot of sense. However, while I get the concept in theory, I'm having a lot of trouble trying to identify it in actual writing, much less implementing it in my own. Do you have any advice for me, comments on the concept, or particular textbook examples you'd like to share? And he signs it, Kaz, blowjob enthusiast, which is just the kind of listener we like in this show. Yeah, I mean... I I know very few people who don't like blowjobs. Uh, I I have to concur on that score. Yeah. Um, speaking of examples, so I I picked out a book that um, I I read recently. It's by Laurie Moore called Self Help, and while the uh, I enjoyed most of the stories in it from a perspective of language and storytelling, um, some of them I think she has. The endings are not quite as clear as I generally like, but um, she does some nice. She does write well, and so there's some good example here of a summary that flows into a scene. And this is the uh, protagonist and her brother leaving uh, or coming back for the mother's funeral. That night, James and I left all the casseroles at my mother's apartment and went out and got drunk at a Howard Johnson's. James made me smile, reminding me of the time when I was little, and insisted that if you were in the woods and had to go to the bathroom really badly, all you had to do was eat a piece of bread. It would absorb everything, and you wouldn't have to go anymore. James, I asked him carefully, do you ever think about your other mother? No, he said quickly, like a doctor. I looked at him, dismayed, confused. I don't know, he sighed and signaled the waiter. I guess it's not basic to me. God, I can't get my feet all tied up in that. Why should I? I'm not sure. I looked at my lap, at my shoes. I reached under the table for my purse. Checks on me, I said. 
And that's just a brief example. But the first part where she says, James and I left the casseroles and went out and got drunk at a Howard Johnson's. James made me smile, reminded me of the time when I was little. That's all summary. That's all, this is a part of the conversation that I'm going to tell you what happened, but you don't need to know the exact words. And that flows into the scene when the words do matter, the exact words of dialogue, the exact things that transpire do matter. Do you ever think about your other mother? No. And then he says, I guess it's not basic to me. Those words end up being important to the story, and so you know, we don't need to know the sequence of events that happens as they get drunk or right. specifically how he reminds her of this story, but we need to hear these exact words. We need to see things yeah. happen in real time in that exchange. Just that sort of relates. Somebody was asking me about how do you write small talk in conversations, and I'm like, well, you probably shouldn't. Right. You can you can summarize the fact that they had small talk and then move into the scene when you get to the part of the conversation we need to care about. There was one in one of our uh, in one screenwriting class that I had the uh teacher talked about in the process of editing editing <clears throat> editing a screenplay you would there used to be a competition with the writers to see how much you could cut out of the beginning and the end of the scene and still have the scene make sense. Like, you don't ever write into a movie someone walking into a room and going, hello, oh, hello, how have you been? Oh, great, we haven't seen you in forever. And, you know, they get right to the point. Scenes start in the middle of conversations. Right. Um, I mean, unless you're writing for an episode of Seinfeld. <laughs> but that's a completely different style of storytelling yeah and relies on a lot of other devices and right uh so that's i don't know that's my thoughts on it what does uh hirosaki san as he drinks his wine i'm drinking scotch tonight actually oh is it scotch yeah it's very good scotch too um, uh but no i mean this was sort of a the main question was one of mechanics and actual uh, examples and you sort of provided that. I think that that illustrates uh, the difference pretty effectively. And it flows. And one of the things I like about her text is that it all flows really well. So that example flowed naturally from summary into scene, mm -hmm. and that's what you want. You don't want to have, you know. And then you know we did all this. Then we walked into the restaurant, and then the scene starts. Yeah, oh, I dropped the book. And I haven't even been drinking. Um, so that's, yeah, that's my summary of summary versus scene. Okay. So now uh, do we want to move on and do... Yeah, let's sort of break this up. We got a big one from, from is that Roron? Yes, it's Roron again. I'm getting piled on with foxes today. Um, well, that's not such a bad thing. Yes, so we're going to sort of do the, the, the Roron lightning round as I've been thinking of it in my head as I'm looking at this. Do you want to read them all or do you want to switch off? Uh, let's switch off. All right, go. So I'll start. So he says, I'm back again with yet more inquiries, and this time it's quite a batch. Quite a load to swallow, if you haven't made your blowjob reference yet. I see what you did there. <laughs> Wink. <laughs> so um, here it is. I've got some questions. How can one go about writing frivolity? That is, I can't have every character saying and thinking important things all of the time, 
but I would also like to avoid a bored reader wondering what the point of a section is. Are there any tips you have or any practicing techniques? So this sort of flows into what I was just saying about, you know, small, small talk. talk. You know, it's like, oh, like, I can't have them saying and thinking important things all the time. Well, don't write that stuff. Why not? Skip over it. Well, I mean. I, I mean, why can't they be saying or thinking important things all the time? Yeah, exactly. I mean, right. That's, I, I'm, yeah. I'm agreeing with you. No, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, this, uh, again, goes back to a little trick I learned. Well, not a trick, but a um practice I learned of uh in one of my writing classes which was the uh the abbreviation MIGO. Right. M E G O stands for my eyes glaze over, which is if you're reading something and the reader's just sort of like, okay, yeah, yeah, don't care and you're skipping ahead to when stuff is happening, you should as the writer, you should probably just skip ahead to where the stuff is happening. Two things I want to add to that. First of all, it's I think kind of what he's getting at is he wants to be able to write things that don't pertain to the plot but aren't boring. And it is possible to do that. It is possible to have a really entertaining scene between a couple of characters that you really like, that makes the reader laugh, that you know makes the reader sympathetic, but that doesn't advance the plot. And yes. you kind of have to watch out for those. If you can, um, make them relevant to the plot in some way. Yeah. At the very least, I mean, if you're trying to establish character or establish mood... Start there, and if there's some way to make it relevant, or you know, to not you don't even need to make it overtly relevant, but then tie it back in and have it become relevant in retrospect, right? Um, and the other thing that I wanted to say is this is one of the things making everything relevant, making everything important that you should not be worrying about in a first draft. In a first draft, just write down the conversation, write down whatever the hell you think the characters are going to say. It's when you go back through and edit that you need to say, does this conversation advance the plot? Does this conversation give the reader more information? Does it move the characters along the story? Does it move the characters along the character arc? You right. Know, what function does this conversation serve? Right, because when you're first writing the story, you might not know if it pertains to anything or not because you haven't finished writing it. As the writer, you might just be just as in the dark. Exactly. But when you're going back to edit, by then you should know where the story has gone by that point, and then from there where it needs to go, and then you can determine, okay, yes, no, does it need to be there? Think of it like planning an event. I mean, you don't want to go around and spend a bunch of time and money on things you're not going to need. Right. You don't want to have to make your reader read through scenes that don't need to be there. Yep. Um, next, if the character wants to do one thing and you want your character to do something else, what would be the best way to compromise these conflicting desires? For example, I want character X to fight character Y. However, I play the scene out in my head, and the two always resolve the conflict. Should I let the character develop more organically? Should I find a way to make my vision come about regardless? Should I find a middle ground, some combination of the above, none of the above? Um, Stop making your characters such pussies. My, <laughs> <laughs> um, my thought on this is, if the characters don't want to do what you have planned for them, then you should not make them do it. Because what you're doing in that case is you are subverting or you're placing the characters in service of the plot. And as I have mentioned many times on the show and will mention again whenever anyone asks me about it, I uh, am very much focused on characters in a work. I believe the characters are believable, they carry the story, and that's what the reader wants to see is the characters that they can sympathize with. 
So if you're having the characters behave in a way that they normally wouldn't or they don't feel like they want to, simply because it serves your plot, that's going to come through in the story. And that's something that's really obvious that's it's probably most readily apparent on long-running TV shows that you've been following for a while, and then in one episode something will happen, and they'll go, oh, they would never do that. And right. it just immediately jumps out at you like, oh, like, who wrote this? Like, did like, do they not know this character at all? They would never do that. Yep, And exactly. so you need to, you know, keep that in mind. Um, in this case, if it's like, okay, if you, you need a conflict to happen, substitute it with a different conflict. If those, if those two characters honestly aren't going to come to a head over that, then, you know, find a different way to add tension or come up with a different thing for them to, that they would fight well, about. Well, exactly, and that's what I was going to say. In this specific example, when you're thinking about a character fighting and they always resolve the conflict, um, I run into that problem a lot where I think, well, you know, I wouldn't punch the guy in the mouth. I w we would talk it out until it was through. So that means that the situation is not dramatic enough. The stakes are not high enough. Yeah. For the characters to do the things you need them to do. So you can do one of two things. You can either change the storyline so that the way the characters behave fits the story, or you can change, as you said, change the situation right. and produce a situation that results in that action in a believable manner for the characters. Yeah. I mean, if it's if it's a matter of, it's like, oh, hey, it's like, you know, you took my sports car out without asking me, but... That's okay because, you know, it was an emergency and, you know, it didn't get damaged. So, like, you know, whatever, I'll let it slide. You know, versus, like, by the way, I fucked your boyfriend. You know, right. that, you know, there's some things are easier to come to a rational uh, resolution than others. Yep. And really, if you're writing an interesting story, having somebody fuck someone else's boyfriend is a great way to add tension to that relationship. Yeah, and then he yeah. can be mad at his boyfriend, and then you know he can have a whole story there. I love making people miserable when I write, and we know this about you. Which segues into the next question that Ron asked, which is: Is there anything you pride yourself in, particularly as writers? <laughs> making people miserable and yiffing. No, um, yeah, I would I would say creating realistic characters is one. Um, that's, if I had to pick one, that would be it. I get emails from people all the time that tell me, um, well, not all the time, that sounds, I get emails from people saying that they could really relate to Corey that they, in waterways, that, you know, they would get furious because he'd done things they didn't agree with. Um, I got emails for, similar emails about out of position and just a lot of the stories that I write, I get comments that, uh, the people can really relate to the characters because they feel real. That's probably what I'm most proud of in my work. Yeah. Uh, my serious answer is if, if I'm proud of anything as a writer, it's that I've been able to write stories that you know people will read, and then they'll come back and read other stuff that I wrote. Like the fact that it's like, oh, hey, that was a, somebody thought that that was a good enough story that they bothered to remember who I was and come back to read more of my stuff. I mean, that's... As a writer, as a storyteller, that's the best thing I can ask for, is that somebody will enjoy what I'm doing and come back for more. Because that's yeah. what I'm doing. And I mean, if, if I don't have an audience, I'm just sort of talking into the ether. And uh, the uh, 
the last questions in Ron's email, which I think we're going to address really quickly. They ask, why do you write and why do you write what you write, he asks. And, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about this pretty extensively on a couple previous shows. We talked about it with Flane on the Anthropodcast, episode 21, so listen to that. Um, my really brief answer to why do you write is I can't not. Yeah, it's what I do. And if I don't, I get antsy and angry and, and impatient and cranky. And, right. And, then, and, you know, if I if I go out to write and I don't get words out, I get even crankier. He does. I've seen it happen. Yeah. It's not a pretty sight. No, you you don't want a bitey otter. No, no. Yeah. Absolutely not. Um, so, we have one final email which segues into our special NaNoWriMo section. And I'm going to read this kind of quickly. Uh, this is also from Condrell, who gets a, who gets doubled up in this episode. Um, he says, Evening. Well, here comes a busy month. Leading into that, I have a question for you that I'm not quite sure fits for Unsheathed, though you're welcome to use it if you'd like. I'm planning on using NaNoWriMo to dig my teeth into a neat sci-fi story I've been considering recently. It's got enough meat to fill the pages, and its structure looks to be different enough to keep me occupied. However, there's one rather integral question for the story that I really just don't have an answer to. Sex or no? So basically, his question boils down to, given equally well-crafted stories, which are furry publishers more likely to pick up, erotica or non? I'm, I skipped a whole chunk in the middle where he basically said that, but in more detail about it. It's a sci-fi story, and you know the sex could be important or could be not important, Either way, he could go. That's a very loaded question that actually has multiple layers to it. Yes. Um, my sort of evasive answer is I don't think you should worry about it in NaNoWriMo because that's not the purpose of NaNoWriMo. Yeah. Otherwise, it would be NaNoYifmo, and it's not. Well, I mean, more preparing a novel for publication is not the purpose of it, but <laughs> that's, your, point oh, is, oh. your point is also well taken. I see what you mean. I see what I did there. <laughs> um, I would say for for NaNoWriMo, just go ahead and write it. And if the if in the course of writing it, if it feels natural to put the sex in, do it. If it doesn't, then don't. I've had stories happen both ways. Um, I wrote a story recently about uh, with a straight protagonist that I thought was not going to have sex in it, and then it did. And I've mentioned several times in recent weeks, like, I'm going to write a quick little sex story. Oh, it didn't happen. They went and found a plot on me and never got naked in the end. Well, the coyote got naked, but that was in a picture later. Oh, it's funny you should mention that. <laughs> and you don't even know why yet. Um, er. I have a feeling I might find out later tonight. Well, you'll probably be asleep by then. Um... I'm, tisk, tisk. I'm gonna have a dream. Uh, I well, we got to finish up this episode now, so I can get to sleep then. Um, <laughs> so, Nanorimo. Well, I know we're. I apologize to Condrell because we're evading the whole question of whether publishers are more likely to pick up erotic or non. My brief take on that is publishers are more likely to pick up a good story. Exactly. If it's got erotica, there's a market for that. If it doesn't have erotica, there's a market for that. Yeah. If your story is good enough, you will find an outlet that will take it. I mean, it's not necessarily saying they will certainly take it one way or the other, but there are places to bring it either way. Yeah, and don't 
change the content of your story based on what you think a publisher is going to be more likely to accept in this case. Right. I mean, already the fandom is small enough where, to be perfectly frank, the amount of exposure you're going to get isn't going to be appreciably different. Yeah. But NaNoWriMo, and we should say up front, neither of us actually participated in NaNoWriMo, but that's because the purpose of it is to spur people to get something written. Right. And as we mentioned earlier, there's a lot of stuff that we talk about in terms of structure, in terms of characters. Don't worry about all that when you're doing NaNoWriMo. The purpose is to get words down, get your first draft out. And and to get in the habit of making time to write a lot. Exactly. Get in the habit of writing. There is a Nano Edmo, which I think is in March. But NaNoWriMo is about getting the first draft out, getting into the habit of writing, developing good work habits, and just getting a finished product. Yeah. And being able to be proud of yourself for doing that because, honestly, developing good writing habits and sticking with something enough to do that, that is something to be proud of. So if any of our listeners are going to do NaNoWriMo, Send us an email before November 1st or on November 1st. Let us know what your goal is and what your project is. And then... We will us... not read your NaNoWriMo project when it's done to let you know if it's good or not. We we will not read it, but we will read the names of people who are going to participate. And send us an email on November 30th with your word count and the title of your project, and we will read those. And Incentive... If if you have them online somewhere, we will provide links for people to go and read them. Yes, and, and, I, and I didn't mean to, to sound negative about that, but I was going to also mention the point of, um, as, as Kyle's just been pointing out, the point of NaNoWriMo is not to write this good finished product. It's to get down there and to write and to make a point of writing it. Just because you've written your 50,000 words within the month of November... Don't let that delude yourself into thinking, hey, I have a book, and then try to just shop that around and then wonder why no one's taking it. It's a first step. Exactly. And but, it's a good first step, but it's still just a first step. But for all for all of y'all who have said, oh, I want to write, but I can't make the time, I can't find the energy, I can't find the motivation, I don't have the incentive, you are who NaNoWriMo is for. And there is um, – we will put a website up when we post the show – there's an official NaNoWriMo website that has tips, that has communities you can join, and um, you know we'll we'll post all that. So so that yeah, if you want to, it'll probably be in the show notes. Too, join somewhere, sure. yeah. Show notes, the comment, the journal post when we post it on Fur Affinity. <laughs> there we go. Oh well, but actually in the actual uh, podcast show notes, and you click on the little info box. Oh okay. There's little show notes that pop up. Oh yeah, I've just been kind of making the one those writes up. Those? No, that's me. Oh, okay, I'll uh, yeah, I'll try to remember to toss up, toss in a link. Yeah, because that's that's sort of standard practice. But yeah, so I mean, if it's if it's going to you know help inspire you, if you do you know go in and pitch in and you know, tell us how much you've done, we will tell our listener base how awesome you are for doing it. Exactly, and we look forward to hearing about your progress. And uh, with that, I believe we're going to wrap it up for tonight. I have a dream to get to, apparently. Yeah, and I have a dream to think up to magically send to you. I hope it's hot. 
I can't imagine it not being. I, I just, just hope it's not miserable. Considering what I was writing earlier this evening. Oh, no. my What I was writing earlier this evening was not miserable at all. It was wow. delightful. And it wasn't even about sex yet. It sounds like it. Yeah. Whereas, I, by contrast, mine was miserable. Yeah. See? That, that must be why I was actually getting stuff done tonight. Because <laughs> I wasn't writing as me. I was writing as you. Ah. We must have swapped somehow. Um... Well, once again, thank you all for listening. Our, we are unsheathed on FA. Uh, our email is unsheathedpodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. I am Kyle on FA and Kyle Gold on Live Journal. I am Cam Hirosaki on Live Journal and Cam underscore Hirosaki on FA. Where my FA, I've actually finally posted a bunch of older stories that I had never gotten around to posting. Cool. Uh, so go check those so out. So go check those out. There's some of my. What I consider my oldies but goodies, like the one about the uh, the kind of sort of cross-dressing husky who's super flirty. <laughs> I was going through to polish it up. for I was formatting that for F.A. and I was reading it. I was like, damn, I wrote this like five years ago, but this is like kind of hot. Still hot. Yeah. That's a good thing but, about not looking at something for years. It's like I'm so distant from it that it turns me on. Well, cool. And uh, that'll do it for us. Thank you again and good night. Sweet dreams.